Look at them, madame. Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. Live from the Stamp Show Here Today infotainment complex, this is the award-winning Stamp Show Here Today. If you can dream it, we can collect it. Brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center, a nonprofit 501c3 corporation for the advancement of philately. You can support this witless tosh by joining the Stamp Show Here Today community. The cost is only $10 for a lifetime membership. Listen to the end credits for more information. This is Lord Cash. And this is Burgermeister Mark. This is Sir Jim. And uh, we have a couple shout-outs today. The first one is from Joseph W. in uh, Ithaca, New York. And he's from uh, Autumn Leaves Used Books. So if you know Autumn Leaves Used Books, go over there and uh, buy a bunch of stuff. He's a listener of the podcast. And he sent me uh, three stamps that had double straight edges that have lines on each one. And uh, just, you know, it's a weird thing that I collect because they're rare. They're going to start a trend. Yeah, they're going to go up in value from nothing to something. (laughs) And the next one is uh, from Steve M. And uh, he, uh, Carolyn is his, well, actually I'm going to use their last name because Carolyn is actually a... uh, big person in the art cover exchange carolyn marks at carolyn marks I, i'm not going to give her email address just in case somebody's going to do everything do a web search for her anyway she does the art cover exchange and she was commenting on or they were commenting on the mail for fun program and it's not really a program it's just sort of a hobby know, a hobby a fun mm. thing to do so uh i wanted to give the mail for fun a shout out it's mail a letter to mail for fun 20401 Haggerty Road Suite A number 120 in Northville Michigan MI MI is Michigan right right 48167 mail a letter say hi how are you I'm a listener of the podcast also and put a stamp on it and so, uh, yeah, we basically, you know, the prices just went up to 63 cents, but you probably still have a 60 cent stamp laying around. Let's uh, get mail for fun up and running. So and they send money in to be a lifetime member. Yeah, they send in their check for 10 bucks and they're getting a, uh, a magic uh, restoration screen. Yes. That's worth at least a third of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me, tell me your story again about the uh, self-rated stamp you bought on eBay. Oh, uh, you know, actually, I bought it on Hip Stamp. Or excuse me, a, Hip Stamp. Yeah, I, I bought a, a, a Scott number five fifty-eight, which is the six-cent Garfield, and um, it, it it was it was self-rated. It was uh, it had that darkness around the the edges, um, which is typical when uh, um, when a stamp is exposed to, I guess, uh, certain types of, of environments. Um, sulfur. Yeah, like sulfur. Sulfur in plastic, sulfur in the air, sulfur in the paper. Right. So it 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 uh, it, it creates sort of a, a of a dark shadow on the on the stamp usually around the edges and it was graded, it was graded I think uh, 85 um, but it had an apparent setting of 100. So it was so, a grade uh, 100 that got knocked down to an 85 because it was sulfur. Right. So I bought the stamp and I used the magic uh, uh, restoration screen. 
along with uh, copious amounts of um, hydrogen peroxide. Over and, several uh, days. Over several days. And, uh, and I reanimated that corpse, <laughs> and, uh, and I had it, and I submitted it uh, uh, again, and it came back uh, as a grade 100. So it, it was graded as a 100. It said sulfurated, which basically is a big flag saying, hey, remove the sulfuration on the stamp, and you have a grade 100 stamp. Right. The person didn't. Instead, they put it on eBay, or excuse me, on hip stamp, and uh, you paid how much for it? $99. And now that it's cleaned up, how much is it worth? I think the SMQ is around $4,000. i am not sure. I so look that up. So that's like a no-brainer. You made $3,901 off having the Wonder Screen. Yes. <laughs> Which cost him $0.69. Cents. No, it actually didn't cost him anything. I just handed him one. <laughs> cost you something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, $2,500 is oh, the SMQ. $2,500. Oh, right. st- so it's $2,399 or whatever. Yeah, yeah you, you, you still... <laughs> 2401 you, you still dramatically paid for your Wonder Screen. Right. Yeah, it was worth having. Speaking about restoring a stamp, this is one where you're, you're restoring the old color. I do not think anybody is going to have a real complaint about removing sulfurization. It's not a natural process. It's an unnatural process that you are reversing on the stamp. They do that in the art world all the time with old paintings. Yeah, but I mean, in old paintings, they also do repairs. Well, that's true. Which we frown upon. So restoring versus repairing are two different things. As a matter of fact, uh, shout out to Jerry Yes uh, at lunch today. He was talking about a stamp. Um, he purchased a stamp, and it was a, I think it was a number one sixteen, and it had a big hinge mess on the back, so he soaked it. And it was really nicely centered stamp, nice, nice stamp, nice cancel, and he soaked off the hinge, and then. He, like a stamp expert is supposed to do, he dipped the stamp in Ronsonol lighter fluid, the yellow bottle stuff, not the white bottle. And he saw that the hinge was still there. And so he soaked it some more. And then he lightly brushed the back. And he removed what it had on the back that looked like a hinge was actually... It had a filled thin where they had actually made a pulp mass and filled in the thin and then stuck a hinge on top of it to sort of hide it. And so that's, so when he removed it, he goes, yes, this is a really nice stamp, but it's a repaired thin. And that's, I mean, we here at PSE see this sort of stuff. Uh, what have you seen lately that's repairs of the like? Well, uh, well, the, the first thing that comes to my mind about that particular stamp is what is more valuable to have the stamp that shows the thin or have the stamp that shows the repair? So the same stamp, but you know, one is an obvious repair, one is an obvious thin. Um, I'm not sure what uh, you know what to 
to make it that because either either way you're going to call it out on a, on a certificate. Either it's going to be repaired or it's going to have a thin. Um, so uh, so what's worse? I don't know. That's uh, that's a tough call. Um, in the antique world, it's not unusual to have repairs. Um, or in the automotive world, right? You, you, there's you know you want all original parts. Yeah. But there's no way they're all original to that vehicle. Right. So it's a uh, yeah, it's it, it's an interesting conundrum. I I along that same line, um, if you have a regum stamp, is it more valuable as a collectible to be a no gum stamp rather than a regum stamp? I mean, where would you draw the line that it's worth taking the regumming off? Oh, I'll give you my opinion on that. Yeah, that's what I'm asking. If it has a certificate, I would rather it say no gum versus regum. The reason being is that no gum is listed in the cert, uh, in the catalog, and therefore you have a benchmark of its value. Regum, realistically, regum, you just look and it's got the same thing. You know, it says no gum, but it takes it off the certificate. So you have a clean certificate. Got it. And so I would prefer a clean certificate. Now, if it wasn't certified, I'd prefer it to be regummed. Not because I'm trying to put something off over on somebody, but the regum is sort of like restoring it to its natural value or natural condition, even though it's not real. If it's not certified, it means it's like, you know, a lesser expensive stamp. I think then that you're looking for appearance because yes. you're not really looking at resale. I mean, if it's a $20 stamp, you know, the, you well, yeah, I, I think the, the question that I'm posing is similar to what Mark said. And that is, um, is it better in its original condition before it was repaired or, um, in this case, regummed? Or is it better just to have left it the way it is? In other words, if we, if you get a, a stamp back from uh, PSE and it says regummed, are you better off soaking it and resubmitting it? And I think that's the question you answered. Yeah, I would. Me personally. Yeah. I and would it's soak. up to it's up to the individual collector, obviously. Yeah. I mean, it is always nice to have original gum on a five dollar Colombian or something like that, but. You know, a lot of people can't afford that, and a regummed looks just as nice. And regum looks nicer, <laughs> depending on the job. Yeah, yeah. and it, and it would look like never hinged. Yeah. Oh, although one of the things you have to watch out for regums is a lot of times to hide the fact that it's regummed, they'll hinge it and they'll hinge it often. They'll they'll put like four or five hinges on the back and say. Well, I mean, this thing's been in four or five collections. How could it be regummed? It's like, no, you put those four or five right. pages on yeah. it. You did it last week. Well, it, uh, and, uh, and regumming also hides flaws. So that's, that is yeah. a consideration. Um, along the line of what have we seen lately, um, uh, it is f fairly common in when we find a repair that it's a tear in the stamp. That seems to be the most common one that we see, or at least that I've seen. And sometimes they're the laminated tears or the, the laminated thins, so they don't show on the front. 
but there's certainly a fault. Yeah. And um, other times, for one reason or another, it doesn't show on one side or the other, but it's still a repaired tear. Um, the paper just happens to match up perfectly, and you can see it in fluid. So I think that those are two of the flaws that probably uh, the average collector should be looking for when you're out buying stamps and examining them. Um, a lot of times you can only see those in fluid, but a reputable dealer is not going to object to you putting it in fluid to test it. No. As a matter of fact, and this depends on the person because I'm going to use the word significant. If the stamp is has significant value, you should dip it yeah. at the dealer's table. Yeah, to be sure. And if he has a problem with that, then you don't want to deal with that dealer. Yeah, and it may be he won't let you dip it, but he will dip it. That's fine. And that's fine because it's still his yeah. until you buy it. But, yeah, you need to you need to check that. Um, the other thing that is a little more difficult to catch is when part of the design is either drawn in or um, the rebacking has been done to add a edge and stuff. And we see that um, occasionally where someone has done that and if they do a really good job of it it's at first glance not discernible oh yeah and you have to look under uh, high magnification sometimes to see that something's been drawn in and or we we had a stamp not well, a couple of years ago or a year ago that we were looking at uh, at the experts meeting um i'm not going to identify the stamp but it, let's just say it was a significant value stamp, and it had a clear, um, clean uh, certificate from probably sometime last century. That's, mm. that's an unfair way of saying the 1990s. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it was a while back, and it clearly had a big repair in it. Um, and that showed up both in the VSC and also just in fluid. So you really have to be careful when you're buying anything of a lot of value to look very carefully at the perforations, the gum, and uh, uh, repairs. Well, and the reback stamp. When you're dipping it in Ronsonol lighter fluid, yellow bottle, and the reason I always say yellow bottle is because they have a white bottle and they are add perfumes to it to remove the smell. And we don't know what the perfumes do over time. Right. I mean, it may be nothing. may be absolutely fine. But I am always going to sort of go with the side of caution. And we know that the yellow bottle, you know, is just naphtha and, mix, uh, naphtha and alcohol, I think. Naphtha and something. And we know it doesn't affect the stamps. So uh, we know that's safe. Um, but when you dip it, the fluid sort of like washes over the stamp. And it washes over the stamp in an even sort of flow. Instead of absorbing into the right. fibers. When you, when you have a um, rebacked stamp... It'll wash over the edges very quickly and then go through the middle very slowly. And that's because it's going through two pieces of paper 
and the glue that's holding the two pieces of paper together. Um, also, sometimes they will press stamps to squish out a th- crease. If it's a light crease, you can actually put it under high pressure and sort of smash the fibers all together. And if you uh, put that in, you'll notice that the fluid goes very slow. I mean, really super slow through the stamp because those fibers are crushed so close together that, you know, it, it takes a while. Then, of course, the other thing is, you know, when it goes through a crease, the creases flash differently, the thins go differently because you're going through different thicknesses of paper or, you know, different layers of paper. Dipping a stamp is just fantastic for detecting faults. Yeah, one thing that dipping won't tell you about is is reperforation, and that's that's kind of a... uh, it's it's kind of, reperforation is kind of a controversial subject because dealers certainly don't like calling out reperforation, um, but it's uh, it it's not as much of a sin as like filling a thin or uh, uh, or repairing a tear because you're basically it, it's it's sort of like a beautification uh. unless you're reperforating for centering. Well, I, you're you're also reperforating to fake a stamp to make it look like a different. Oh yeah, stamp. yeah, yeah. If you're if you're trying to make a a, a perf twelve coil, yeah, yeah. Then you're, you know, you're talking you're talking about taking a straight edge copy. Yeah, either, that's a nice looking right, stamp. Right, a straight edge or, and, or yeah. a uh, or a blind perf or something like that. Or my double straight edges. Right. Yeah. Yes. Going through all the double straight edges. Yeah, and you, reperforating should, you should the edges. them all. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Right, but but yeah, it's it's something where um, I think um, uh, PSE has the right idea of calling those out, um, even though other expert um, services may not. Oh, I disagree. I think everybody calls it. Yeah, out. when yeah. they when they detect it, because um, yeah, because it, it definitely it, it definitely is something that the collector should know. Well, up until. Mm, the market sort of changed over the last decade and a half. And I'm going to say up until the year nine, uh, 2010, I'm going to say. Because PSE was actually criticized as being reperf happy. You know, we're calling all this stuff reperfed. And I, it's not that we were calling everything reperfed because it was, but I always go reperfing on a scale of one to five. One is everybody will detect it. It just looks funky if you know what you're looking for. Two, you're doing sort of a professional job, but the holes are straight and you're not not necessarily straight. They're sharp, you know, stuff like that. Number three is when you get into like the person doing a good job. And number four, you need an expert. And number five, you need a really good expert, and those tend not to be called because you can. There's far more chance of you being wrong. There's something wrong with the perfs. Just doesn't look right. But right. You, you, you can't, can't put your it. you can't yeah. put your finger on it. It might just be an anomaly with the perfs and stuff. So nobody calls fives. But what PSE did, and this again was back in 2010 when everybody was criticizing, we were calling fours. Everybody called threes. So they let all the really good reperf jobs go through. Mm -hmm. Well, now everybody calls fours also. Yeah. Nobody calls fives. But, you know, 
the PF, APS experts, PSE, PSAG, you know, we call number four uh, skill level four reperforating. And that is something that's relatively new, but it's reperforated. So, you, you know, it's just when we started doing it, everybody started going, well, yeah, it's reperforated. But we weren't sure. We couldn't get a consensus. You know, you get three experts, and one of them says, I think this is reperforated. And the other ones go, oh, I don't know. You go, well, no consensus. Don't put it on. Well, now the skill level of experts is significant. The skill level of experts today versus the 1970s is a world difference, literally a world. We have more education and more equipment. And the equipment is a big part along with the education. And so we can see things that they didn't see in the 70s. Yeah, the education part of it is what struck me um, is that we have now uh, a lot more idea of how the productions were done, how the perforating was done on different issues. Um, and those actually look different. I mean, the... the Perf 12s, early Perf 12s look different than the Perf 12 today. Yeah. Because of the technology of the printing and so forth. So it's like the education part of it, coupled with the high tech machinery, helps a lot. Um, you, you get magnification on perforations, uh, you can see the uh, pressure ridges. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know that anybody looked at that before. Well, today, it's my opinion that a normal expert, just a random, you know, mid-level expert in the 1990s would be the ultimate expert, would be the finalizer, would be the head of the department. Yeah. You know, that's just where the education level of expertizing and stamps have gone. And... A lot of it is because of the internet. Now there's so much information that you can glean from other people that you can become an expert. Yes. You can sit at your computer and become an expert. In 1990s, that wasn't possible. In 1970s, it was literally impossible. So uh, it's a state of the army. A, a, a weird tangent. I was thinking about this the other day. What is the difference in value of a reperforated stamp versus a perforated stamp? And, you know, any number you come up with is just sort of subjective. And I was going to, because I write for Kelleher, uh, Kelleher Connections, if you don't subscribe to Kelleher Connections, do it. It's a fantastic magazine. I have a little two-pager in there all the time. I wanted to start doing some research on it, finding two stamps that are pretty close to identical and seeing what the difference in price between the two is. Is it half? Is it more than half or less than half? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Well, there's certainly going to be a, a subset of collectors that will never under any circumstances knowingly buy a reperforated stamp. But um, I would say the majority of collectors, um, even knowing a stamp is reperforated, would still buy it and expect a discount. Yeah. Deservedly so. 
But the question is how much of a discount? Right. I mean, if the dealer says, you know, 10% discount for reperforated, clearly that's not enough. If he says 50%, is that in the ballpark? Right. I don't know. And if the, if the stamp is attractive, it's going to look great in your album. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah. What's the uh, yeah? What's what's the big deal about you know, maybe a twenty five percent discount off of the, off the normal because it's still a stamp, it's still real, and it still looks good. Yeah, I mean the reason why people reperf, is to make the stamp better. Now we're excluding people who are faking stamps. If yeah. you are buying a coil and it's fake, you know the value of that versus the real one is zero. Yeah. But if you're buying a $1 Colombian and it's reperforated, it's probably reperforated to make it look better. So now it's a nicer looking stamp. Probably would also depend on the level of that perforation. Is it a four or a one? Yeah, that's true too. Because the fives were saying we basically can't detect them or nobody's calling them. Well, but they, if it's a four or a three versus a one reperforation, it's tough to see it in just the naked eye and just casual observing. Well, uh, so it looks better in the album. A two, basically, you need a little loop to put it on because the way to detect a level two is it's round, sharp holes. Mm -hmm. But the uh, I had this discussion a long, long, long time ago with Scott, who is the president of PSE, and he said, "Yeah, I think this is reperforated. I'm going to put it on the cert." And I said, "Literally, because it was a five. I literally said, you are either going to be the smartest person or the dumbest person. You have to understand that it's a coin flip of which one. Either you're going to be highly criticized or you're going to be highly praised. Do you want to take that chance? And basically he said, no, nah, I understand why we don't call fives. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Because if you're the only person in the world who can identify it. Or one of a handful. Yeah. You're not the expert. You're an idiot. <laughs> you you put a typo on the cert. I mean, most you know, you'll that's see. How, these. That's the Galileo principle <laughs> <laughs> or the Copernicus principle. You know, they were right, but they were wrong for uh, their lifetime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's interesting. I have an exhibit that. I'm, I think the first time it'll be up is at Westpex, but it might be at Arapex. And it's on reperforating. And it's a one frame. It's eight double pages that I did, I did for the information, obviously, but I also did, you know, for layout purposes, I wanted it to look pretty. So we'll see what happens. But um, then I'm going to photograph it as soon as I can find somebody who can photograph the large pages and put it online. But you, you two have both seen it, right? Yes. You saw, you saw the final. I did. And so uh, reperforating anybody, in my opinion, with a loop that, you know, 10 power loop can detect one, twos, and threes. Fours are the hard part. When you can master fours, then you're you're a good expert. If you can detect fives, you know, yeah. <laughs> have a ball. Have a ball. You, 
you, you probably think you're better than you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Total non sequitur. I was looking at the Chronicle the other day, and they had a story on proofs and essays from the 1860s and 1850s. And all these things that they were doing to the stamps, all sorts of overprinting and meshes and stuff like that to prevent counterfeiting. And I just thought, these guys in the 1860s were doing all this stuff to prevent counterfeiting. And today we're just saying, come on, Canada, go ahead and ship all your stamps in here. Yep. We'll even advertise on Google for you. You can use our logo. Yeah. <laughs> so that's an interesting thing. You know, 140 years ago, they were worried about counterfeiting. Yeah, and they were worried about two-cent stamps and one-cent stamps. Yep. And they were putting an effort into it. Yeah, a serious big, effort. Big effort. Well, the reason why they put grills on stamps was so that people couldn't remove the cancels. Mm-hmm. And realistically, all you had to do to re- not have the cancel removed is just use a black cancel because there's no real way to remove black ink. There's plenty of ways to remove blue ink and red ink. And uh, so, you know, they were protecting their revenue stream. And today, eh, not so much. Yep. You have any new stories about counterfeits? Any new articles you saw or anything? It's like it's like the um, shortest poem ever penned. The name of the poem is Fleas. Adam Haddam. That's the shortest poem. And that's when we have the fake USPS postage. We have them. <laughs> Adam has them. Adam had them. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. It's better I, than, I knew you would. It's better than my uh, roses are red, violets are blue, some poems rhyme, but this one doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> but this one do. <laughs> <laughs> well, is anything else before we sign off? We got our uh, dates, hopefully, for the Las Vegas Stamp Show, if you're in Las Vegas. Uh, Let's talk about that. We've got one coming up in March. Yep, March. What is it? March 11th? Well, that's what I'm consulting here. March 10th and 11th, which is the Friday and Saturday, second weekend of March. That is our spring show down on Mountain's Edge Conference Facility on Blue Diamond Road. So, What are the other dates? The other dates this summer, we're having um, same place, June 9th and 10th. And in the fall, we have October 20 and 21st. And then the big one. And then the big one is the 2020 National Winter Show, sponsored by the National Stamp Dealers Association. And that is December 14 through 16. That will be three days at the Orleans Hotel. Cool. We're all set. Well, hopefully I'll see some of you there. Come up to us and tell us that you like our podcast or you don't like it or why. 
Yeah. <laughs> and uh, say, I don't like the intros. <laughs> I don't like that gym guy. Well, don't talk to me then. <laughs> <laughs> well, enjoy. We need your help. Nothing on the internet is free, including our phone and internet connections. So you can support the podcast by joining the Stamp Show Here Today Club. The cost is $10 for a lifetime membership. Please include your APS member number as we are an APS-affiliated club. Your support is greatly appreciated. Our brand new spanking address is 5965 Harrison Drive, Suite 6 in Las Vegas, Nevada, 89120. You left out the word glorious. Fabulous. <laughs> because you don't put that on the letter. Oh. Well, you could. You could, yeah. You could, yeah. Well, kids, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Sideshow Mel, Corporal Punishment, Tina Ballerina, oh, and from Not Landing, Miss Donna Mills. Oh, she was a sport. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun, but now the time has come to go. If this silkom was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. See you some other time! <laughs> Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.